It's good to see you guys, especially Eugene. <laughs> About to jump up here, and Camille looks over at her phone, and, and wouldn't you know, my mom, like from Portland, Oregon, is watching live. She's like, praying for you guys. Hey, good to see you in the front row. It's like, hi. you know. <laughs> so, hi, mom. There you go. Uh, so, no pressure, right? No, actually, she... She tunes in, and it's, uh, it's fun because I call her usually after service, and I have no idea if she watches or not, and um, so it's neat because she'll bring up things like, um, the music was great, and the, you know, so-and-so was fantastic voice tonight, and, and so anyways, you guys have a fan up in Portland, Oregon. So what I'm going to talk to you about tonight is the goodness of God. Now, don't tune out. You're like, <laughs> Right? The goodness of God is usually theologically a really shallow talk. It's like, God is good all the time and all the time. All right, you're like, I got it. End of sermon. Let's pray. No, right? That's usually how it goes. And it doesn't have a whole lot more to it. And so usually, maybe if you're lucky, you'll find a really bad teacher who's just going to say, well, I'm going to include everything that happens in the world into God is good. Even sickness, death, torture, holocaust, and genocide. Yes. Somehow that's his goodness. Got it. How about I don't talk to you about your teaching a little bit more than that? I don't think that we can consolidate God's goodness into those things. I've taught about that in the will of God before. I've talked about God's sovereignty before. I'm not going to share that tonight. Although I'm so tempted, I won't. But in between... The notions that God is good and that the will of God is good is just this insatiable passion to share of the goodness of him that is beyond our ability to think and reason and experience. And the more that I live my Christian life, the single greatest thought I have is not I need to become more holy, I need to do this, is I actually need to just ponder the goodness of God. I need to actually let that soak into me. That is the single greatest factor impacting my life right now. It's not that I'm stronger in this area. It's not that I'm better in this. It's not that I've defeated this area. It's not that I've protected myself from attack. It's actually that that I'm a living sponge that the goodness of God continues to fill up. I'm more aware of it and it's just transforming my life. So I ask you, what comes to your mind when I say goodness of God? Say goodness of God. How do you know God is good? And we usually think um, theologically, well, it's his character. Like, he's not a jerk, so he's good, you know? So you know he's, like, not a bad dude, though I don't know by some people's theology, I kind of would say that you actually think he's a bad guy. But actually, we, we try to say that God is good, which is not a big statement. Then once we get beyond that, maybe we'll, like, we'll come up with stuff and possessions. Maybe you might say, like, I have a car, and so God is good. Maybe I go on a vacation. God is good. Possibly a gift. God is good. You might think of a result, like a test score. God is good. My team won. God is good. My biggest prayer as a child was that it would snow. I grew up in like 30 minutes east of Portland, where we're like 100 feet in elevation between whether it's going to snow or not. It was like torturous growing up, because it's like, please, God, let it snow, you know. And we get like two snow days a year, deprived of snow as a child. That and praying that Michael Jordan, like I'd watch Michael Jordan, and like that he would win. Like I was Michael Jordan's prayer warrior as a child. (laughs) Obsessed. 
So if the Bulls won, like, God is good. And when Michael Jordan retired, at least the first time, like, I didn't know if God existed anymore. It was just like, I don't know what to do now. Maybe a relationship. Maybe a new job. God is good. He's there. And so we, you know, used to associate all these things, all this stuff as part of God's goodness. And I've been in that camp for a large part of my life until I had kids, which I'm going to share with you tonight. So stuff, things, possessions, outcomes equates the goodness of God. But here's the problem. By this association and this definition, what happens is God's goodness gets reduced to something having a favorable outcome. When you associate God's goodness with stuff, outcomes and things, you are reducing God's goodness to something having a favorable outcome. And guess what happens when something doesn't have a favorable outcome? We put God's goodness on trial. When you associate God's goodness with things going well, and then all of a sudden things don't go well, guess who gets the call? God, are you really good? God, are you there? What's happening here, God? God, what are we up to? Wag our finger up there. So the very same thing that you would five days previously said that God is good, now you're using to declare, God, where are you? Are you even good? And heaven forbid it doesn't end well. Let me show you. A good test score. God is good. Yes. A bad test score. I don't know if God wants me to be a doctor now. You get a car. God is good. Woohoo! Toyota Tacoma. God is good. Car breaks down. Mother, God is teaching me humility. Go on vacation. Yes, vacation. God is good. It rains on the vacation. God is trying to tell me something. Someone gives you a gift. Amazing. I love it. That gift gets stolen. God gives and takes away. A dating relationship. God brought this person into my life. Yes. The person exits your life. God is punishing me. What did I do wrong? Some of you might be in a relationship now and you're thinking, God's punishing me. (laughs) If you need help there, we can help you in that department. But what's worse is that when things aren't going our way, we humans have this funny tendency as we say, God, what I need you to do is I need you to fix this, and if you do that, then I'll do this. Maybe we have it the other way around. God, I did this, now I really need you to do this. Remember, when the goodness of God is totally restricted on the positive outcome, on the successful outcome, we all of a sudden get into a bribe relationship with God. Where we hold God's goodness hostage according to the bribes we make, and usually it's with our behavior. I remember like pleading, God, if you do this, I'll do that, you know. It's this like natural thing, like there's this tit-for-tat relationship with, with God's favorable outcomes. 
And so to summarize, how we reduce all this is that the theology for most Christians on the goodness of God is based on something having a favorable outcome, and that favorable outcome can be achieved by bribing God with our behavior in our hearts. Practically, that's probably how most of us live and associate God's goodness. But once I became a father, I realized I had no idea what I was talking about. I realized I had no concept of God's goodness when I became a father. Because suddenly, all these things started to click and make sense. I'm not even going to be able to get through. I had like, I'm riddled with like a nine-hour message that I'll only keep eight hours tonight, I promise. Now, I'll get through what I can get through tonight. But I can tell you that fatherhood is the greatest seminary that has ever existed. Don't go to seminary. Well, if you want to go to seminary, go to seminary. But you would not believe the connections and the revelation that God gives you by becoming a parent. It's absolutely mind-blowing. So what I want to share with you is some of the things that God has taught me through my kids and being a father about the goodness of God. And the first thing is this, is that the goodness of God is not limited to what we can see. The goodness of God is not limited to what we can see. The very first revelation of God's goodness to me as I became a father is that I have zero, zero concept of God's goodness in my life until now. It's like I thought I knew God's goodness and I realized I know nothing about God's goodness. I've always been able to say what I can see and say, God, this is good, and so therefore you are good. But I actually have no concept. Here's why. Is that my kids, I have two kids, an almost four-year-old little girl named Scarlett, and a 20-month-year-old son named Maverick. Yes, his name is Maverick. Four-year-old girl, almost two-year-old son. They cognitively probably have one one-hundredth of a percent knowledge of the things I do for them. All I know is like, I wake up, I eat, I poo, I watch a cartoon, I go to bed, I might take a nap, I might not take a nap, I eat, I poo, I brush my teeth, I go to bed, repeat. Their life is in this continuous cycle. It's all about them. That's fine. But they have one one-hundredth of a percent of knowledge of what I, as a father, am doing for them, they're always on my mind. So much of what I spend my time and my heart and my energy is doing is just thinking about them, doing things for them. Them, they are on the tip of my tongue and on my mind all the time. They're not recognizing the time I put into work so that we can pay rent. They're not considering the time that we consider clothes that they would enjoy and like and making sure there's a pony on that t-shirt or maybe there's a tractor on that pajama. They have no concept of the toys that we provide them, that we, we give them things. Heaven, we, ha- we have so many princess-associated paraphernalia and, and dresses and figurines. It's insane. Why? Because my little girl is the only person in the universe who likes princesses, apparently. We have... Princess crowns, wands, dresses, everything. I know more about princesses than all you combined. We see things, we think of our little girls like, she would love this. All she knows is that one day I got it. And she's like all enamored about it. Right now it's the Little Mermaid doll. And it goes with her everywhere. But we think about her, she's on my mind. They don't see how I make my schedule 
so that I can put them to bed almost every single night, except for Thursdays, and wake up with them every single morning. The goal I have is that when they wake up and when they go to bed, that I'm there. They don't see that. They don't see me actively working to treat their mother well and being faithful to their mother. They have no concept of these things. I feel like I'm a good father, I'm a good husband, but their recognition of my goodness is like that. They don't recognize that I took them for a month to Costa Rica for Pete's sake. A month. Did our children say thank you? No. They should go to like toddler appreciation school or something. And guess what? They're not supposed to. That stuff bothers me this much. Why? Because that's not how it's supposed to be. A good father doesn't need to be recognized for everything he does. A good father in his goodness does not need to say, I need you to see these 100 things I did for you so that you can be fully certain that I'm good. My kids will never know what I do for them and it's supposed to be that way and it doesn't bother me. So the goodness of God is not limited to what you can see. If you think that God is good based on what you know, think about what you don't know and then multiply that by about 6 billion. Maybe then you might get to some degree of the fathomable riches of God's goodness for our lives. A good father doesn't get bent out of shape of his work and paying the rent, paying the bills, keeping the electricity on, making sure there's food. A good father doesn't get all bent out of shape of his kids don't notice that and appreciate him fully. But how many know that some people that really get out of bent out of shape if they aren't noticed for the work that they have put in? And they need to tell you all the work that they did. Have you ever had someone who's done something for you, you something small, and then told you this enormous story of what it took to do it? Here's a sandwich. Oh, thanks. I appreciate it. Yeah, I, um, I had to go all the way across town, and I, I ran out of gas, and then I, I got in an accident, and my, I didn't have any insurance, and now I'm being sued, and then I was way late to work, and now um, I lost my job. But enjoy your sandwich. I'm like, thanks. But gift givers who make you feel bad about receiving the gift. How about that? Here's a good gift. It was so expensive. So expensive. You're like, I don't need it that much. Take it back. But God in his goodness, he does amazing things for us and never asks that we acknowledge it or know it. Why? It's because God is so certain that there's no manipulation in his goodness. God is so certain that there, I like the snapping. God is so certain that there's no manipulation in his goodness. One reason that God doesn't inform you of all the things is because that goodness then would manipulate you to a degree that you could not help it. And God is so concerned that you also choose him. He values your free choice that you'd say, I don't have to choose you, but I choose you. He admires that genuine heart for you to authentically say, in all the world, God, I choose you. Not out of this overwhelming that I can't ever stop it. Like, I, if you actually knew how good God was, that you would, you would just, like, melt. You wouldn't even exist. You would just destroy you. But God hides and keeps his goodness so discreet that he allows us to, hate, to say, maybe not. That's how radical the goodness of God is. 
something that blows my mind frequently is to think about the alternative versions of my life. How many of you have had, like, close calls in your life? How many of you have had, like, defining moments where you said, like, wow, if that didn't happen, like, I would be, you know, I've had, like, 40 of those. Like, a week, I think. I, like, like, the only reason I married Camille is that she's in the middle of a dance floor, and I was like, I'm going to, I don't know her, I'm going to go part into the crowd and dance with her. That's the only reason we got married is like the boldest act in all of humankind, I think. <laughs> She's like, this doesn't suck. Okay, we'll keep dancing. This doesn't suck. You know, it's like, she didn't know me. But it's like the boldest move I ever made. I don't know where we wouldn't be here because I definitely wouldn't be in Northern California if it wasn't for that moment. And so I'll ponder those things like if I hadn't taken that crazy moment, my life would be somewhere else married to someone very boring. That's how good God is. Next is this, is that the goodness of God is not dependent upon your behavior. The goodness of God is not dependent on your behavior. Last night, my little girl was a little bugger. She wasn't, I got kicked, I do like a, the nuclear launch sequence is easier than putting my daughter to bed, Okay. I've got to do three prayers. Heaven forbid, like, I pray them too fast. I have to sing, like, two times. I have to get a little bit of water, not too much, but enough water that then she drinks it, and then, like, I tap the end of the cup so that two more drops fall into her mouth. I have to do this whole entire charade. I have to be silly. I have to do all these different things, right? It, like, it takes an hour in an act of God every night. And last night, I get kicked out of, like, I got fired by my toddler for the bedtime routine. She's like, I want mommy. And I'll share that story later. I'm going to share that the second half of this message at some other time. But you know what thought didn't come into my mind this morning? Well, she was mean to me. I'm not going to feed her breakfast. (laughs) I could have gone downstairs and twisted off and broken a princess just like out of spite for her. But I didn't. (laughs) It is so mean, right? But, you know, the way we think about God loving us and his goodness to us, it's kind of that twisted. We've developed these, like, sick, twisted things where God's playing this game of, like, this tit for tat. If you do it, I'll do it to you. Eye for an eye, you know. Princess for a princess. (laughs) And so never in my thinking, no matter how my kids act in the day, never at a single moment am I reconsidering that I love them, I feed them, I care for them, or I kiss them. Even when Scarlett was, like, kicking me out, I was like, I still need to kiss. I'll leave, but you're going to kiss me. But I'm continually shocked by Christians who claim that God will move his blessing and his love if you don't get your behavior right. Declaring the end of the world on San Francisco is, like, really old, too. Anybody notice that? God's judgment for San Francisco is coming. No, it's not. Let me be clear. Sinful behavior has consequences of its own completely apart from God. Your sin needs no help from God to ruin your life. You do a perfectly good job of that just yourself. And so people think that when someone comes off the rails that, oh, no, they're living in sin. God's going to remove his hand from you. And then they're driving a new car, and you're like, what's going on? 
Because seriously, if we're honest, when someone starts sinning, we kind of want bad things to happen. Get them, God. You know you do it. And so your sin, if you get off the rails, like, you're doing just a fine job taking your life somewhere else. And that's going to be, your sin needs no help from God. But people want God to come and smite them. To teach them, to correct them. It's completely the other part of God's heart that does not exist. If I want my son to stop touching the stove, because he, like, loves switches things. He goes over the stove and he's like, and wants to touch it. The theology that says, well, we need God to come in and have a swift correction, have them be punished. Like if I was that, if that's your theology, here's what I would do. Is I would go turn on the stove, so the next time he goes and grabs it, it burns him. That's our theology that we have when we say, God, get him. God's going to remove his hand. It's completely crazy once you can put in the, the context of your own kids. And so Christians, like so many of them, get mad because people who don't love God still are blessed. God's kindness and goodness still showers over people who don't love God and it makes Christians mad. I don't get it. It's because their definition of God's goodness happens to be exclusively limited to people who love God and obey God and go to their church and their denomination and tithe. My favorite thing is when people like, like, I love generosity, okay? Offensive statement coming. I love generosity. (laughs) Love generosity. But it drives me nuts when, and I've, I've traveled to Africa, and this is like really bad in Africa, where people say, if you want to be healed, you, then they'll pass the offering plate around. They're like, give it all to get healed. And they'll say, if you really want that breakthrough, you need to give, give till it hurts said nowhere in the Bible, or Jesus, ever. It's this notion like, I have to pay God money in order for him to do something for me. Now, I don't know about you, but in most cities of the world, that's called prostitution. Ouch. I might get in trouble for that one. But when we try to bribe God to do things for us by holding him hostage to his goodness, we are completely outside our minds. And we're completely outside the notion of God's goodness altogether. And these people clearly haven't read passages like, it's God's kindness that leads people to repentance. They clearly haven't read things like, while you were still sinners, Christ died for you. Things like that. They don't want to think about, while someone was sleeping with their boyfriend, that God's like, I still love you. They don't like that. They want thunderbolts. They want lightning. Consider this story. This is Luke chapter 5, verse 4 through 9. And when he had finished, this is Jesus. When Jesus finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out it into the deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I'll let down the nets. So when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boats to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. For he said, and all of his companions were astonished at the catch of the fish that they had just taken. Two things that stand out about this. 
Jesus stood in the boat of sinners before they were followers and filled their nets to overflowing. Not like, you haven't caught anything, I'll give you a fish. It's like, put your nets down, and it's two boatloads. So much that the nets are beginning to break. God's love for people who didn't love him was so crazy. He's like, I'm not going to give you just, he could have given one boat, right? This story could have said, and he gave him one boat. And the, the nets were full. No, he said, I gave them two boats, the nets were breaking, and their boat was beginning to sink. That's the outrageous goodness of God for people who aren't obeying and loving him. God's kindness leads people to repentance. While we're still sinners, Christ died for us. The goodness of God is so much wildly better than we can ever imagine. The second thing that stands out is that Simon Peter, his first response to God's great goodness to him was to say, I am a sinner and I don't deserve this. He had this innate connection of like, what I do well produces good things for me. I'm not talking about obedience to God. I'm not talking about fear. I'm not, I'm not talking about all those things. I'm just talking about the goodness of God that says, you know, I'm going to be good to you whether you love me or not forever, forever, forever. And God has been in the, in the business of being good to people no matter what for entire history. Careful when you threaten someone with God's goodness because you might say, God's going to remove his blessing from you. And God's like, you, you're talking about me, huh? Like, I think you got the wrong number here. It's like, I'm trying to win them over with my goodness, my kindness. So God is not fair according to our standards, so we should just get over it. Are you guys doing okay? Next is the goodness of God is not about things, it's about your heart. It's not about the test score, the car, the gift, or the dating relationship, believe it or not. The goodness of God is about the heart. Good gift givers. Who in here is a good gift giver? Now, who knows a bad gift giver? Yeah, just as many hands. Actually, more, actually. The goodness of God is a heat-seeking missile aimed straight for your heart. The past weekend, this past weekend, Saturday, we got Scarlett up in the morning, got her all dressed up in her princess dress, her crown, Everything. We didn't even tell her where she's going. I think we might have a photo. We do. She had no idea what was happening here. <laughs> it's like, let's get in your princess dress. She's like, yes. <laughs> and so we took her to Disney on Ice, where for two hours, princesses parade on ice. <laughs> now, any other human being that does not have children would say, like, gouge my eyes out with a dull object. That is terrible. But because, that was a little graphic, I'm sorry. <laughs> but because that kindness is about the heart, I knew that the greatest way that I could touch Scarlett's heart, that we could, is to surprise her in an arena filled with other girls dressed as princesses to princess music with princesses dancing all around through the air. The goodness of God reaches your heart. Now, trust me, I had lots of options to do. There was a PCI compliance server workshop that I could have taken Scarlett to. I could have grabbed Scarlett and could have said, hey, we're going to go to a business conference. Yeah. But that wouldn't have reached her heart. 
that wouldn't have touched her, that she would not have been impacted by the good nature of trying to be a good father in that situation. Matthew 7, 9, and 11 says this, Which of you, if your son asks for, for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? That's particularly mean. If you then, though you are evil, know how to good give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Has someone ever given you a gift that completely misses your heart? Maybe you absolutely love basketball and someone buys you River Cats tickets. You're like, close. It's got a ball. Maybe like you totally love Taylor Swift and someone buys you a Kanye t-shirt, right? You're mean and totally unhip for what's going on with that. I love bacon, and I'm not going to, everyone's been sending me the whole World Health Organization smear campaign against bacon. I know that. We will not be intimidated. We will stand strong. Okay? That's right. But I love bacon. I'm pretty public about it. It was like someone gave me like a four steps to having a vegan lifestyle. I'd be like, I want to bop you in the nose. You have no idea who I am. Sometimes a gift that misses the heart actually hurts the heart. The goodness of God aims for the heart so that it connects with you. A good father always considers the heart of his child when giving because the giving is a response to the relationship. I don't inherently like Disney princesses or ice skating or events like that. But because I know that's my daughter's heart, I knew that she would enjoy that. That is the first thing that I wanted to do on that day. I didn't go there like, oh, this sucks. Like, it was like, yeah, we get to take our daughter and be completely dazzled for two hours. <laughs> it was long. <laughs> but God's goodness and his gifts are designed to reach you because it authenticates his intimate relationship with you you know a good friend who can give you a good gift that reaches your heart you're like you're a good friend you know me that feels good that's what God does in goodness to you he's not going to be like well here's a book um, <clears throat> enjoy no the goodness of God is to aim for your heart Here's the last one I give you guys tonight, and then I'll just have to pick this up next time. Is that the goodness of God is not one size fits all. The goodness of God is not one size fits all. It might shock you that God's goodness is actually personalized for you. It's 100% personalized for you. Why? See, other point, that God aims for the heart. He's not aiming for hearts in a general direction. He's like aiming for you, your exact heart right now, for what you're going through right now. That kind of accuracy. And so the goodness of God is actually completely personalized to you. Maverick and Scarlet have vastly different ways in which they experience my goodness for them. Scarlet loves, to be, loves for me to be silly with her. And it's silly to a degree that we actually have house rules that she cannot be this kind of silly with anyone else. <laughs> it's actually, so I, I got probably not to tell you now. So she, her best experience with me is to be in this really silly state that I'm just like free with her. And whatever she says, I just run with. It doesn't matter what she says. And I just react to it however she wants. Here's the current thing that she just loves and loves and loves. is like, Daddy, you have caca on your head. And I'm like, no. You know, like, I'll do that. 
She's like, no, now it's in your mouth. I'm like, no. You know, now it's in your nose. I'm like, you know, I'll do this whole thing. She's like, ah. And so she'll just like, we just caca games all day long. And so through that, we have to be like, so girl, you know, you can't say this to your teacher. You can't, like, kids won't get this on the playground. And so she knows that, like, I'll kind of run with it. But you know what? That's exactly where her heart is, okay? It's the most ridiculous thing. I'm like, I'm a grown man doing charades about poo in my nose and on my head. I get how absurd it is. But a good father personalizes his goodness to his children and does it to a degree that's unashamed. I mean, like, I should be, like, embarrassed. I don't care. Like, it's my daughter. I'm aiming for her heart. I'm not trying to please you. I don't care how silly it sounds. And it does sound silly. Whenever I ask her, what do you want to eat? She's like, a quesadilla. Awesome. And so then it became like, what kind of case? Do you want it, you know, this and you know, what shape do you want it? And she's like, I want a circle. And she's learning shapes. And she learned the shape of a semicircle. Whoa. So then she like asked, I want it in a semicircle. She was like, no problems. Like, here's your semicircle quesadilla. And then she's like, I want it in a crescent. I was like, what's a crescent? It's like a, you know, partial moon, I guess. And there's like triangles. Then it got out of control, okay? Then she's like, I want in the shape of a horse. <laughs> I carved the world's greatest horse out of a quesadilla the world has ever seen. Then she's like, I want a rocket ship. I made a rocket ship with like boosters and flames coming off. The current one right now is like, Scarlett, what do you want to eat? She's like, I want a quesadilla. What kind of shape of quesadilla do you want? She's like, I want a big house. And so I'm like, got this huge like quesadilla. I've like carved out this Big mansion with the smokestack windows and a door that opens right now. That, that's like my current convention of quesadillas right now. I don't know what's next. It's completely ridiculous. I think I might be the first person in history who's an architect for <laughs> tortillas and cheese. Maverick, on the other hand, he's 20 months. I could make him the Mona Lisa in a quesadilla, and he would be like... <laughs> Give me a meatball. Like, he would, he would have no concern at all for it. He'd be insulted that I would present him a quesadilla. <laughs> so for him, for me to reach his heart, I mean, he's almost two years younger, I have to be completely custom for him. I have to completely change everything I do for him. He happens to love going up and down things. Up and down, up and down, up and down, up and down. Repeat, 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 repeat. So halfway through Disney on Ice, he decided, I want to do stairs in a stadium for an hour. <laughs> I went to the rafters in Arco Arena two times, okay? Because he wanted to, like, go up and down. As soon as it gets up, he wants to go down. I hate working out, okay? <laughs> I get winded putting a burrito to my face. I'm like, oh, this is so good. <laughs> That's how little I work out, Okay. I seriously have back pain from Arco Arena. It's crazy. He loves light switches. I'll just take him to a light switch. like, and like holding him. Like, he loves it. He loves watching the dog pee in the morning. He thinks it's so funny. I can't let the dog out before Maverick gets up. 
So I get him up, and we go out, and he sees Coco. He's like, pee pee, pee pee, pee pee. <laughs> get the dog. Poor dog has had to pee for hours now. <laughs> we actually have the dog on meds to give her a stronger sphincter. I kid you not. She's older. It's an unrelated problem. So we go outside, and then, like, he tries, like, you know, to get the dog. I'm like, dog, you better pee, you know. So I, like, snap my fingers, and he's, like, trying to, like, do this. And so we wait, wait, and wait, and all of a sudden the dog goes over and sniffs for hours. It's like, come on. I'm freezing out here. I'm in my jammies, and cars driving by. And Coco goes pee-pee, and we both, ah, <laughs> And, like, we just laugh. He's like, pee-pee, pee-pee, pee-pee. And it's like, Yeah. He's into flying right now, too. I'll, like, take all these pillows, put it on the bed, and I'll, like, stand back five feet and, like, launch them through the air onto the pillows. Again, again. The point is, lots of children. My house is a circus, in case you didn't get it. My children deserve that my goodness is custom to them. I wouldn't have it any other way. I wouldn't have it any other way. It's like whatever delights them delights me. The goodness of God, you have to know, and this is where I'm going to go next week, is that he delights in your delight. The goodness of God follows the goodness of your heart. It aims for your heart. It's customized for you. It's not dependent upon your behavior, and he's always working on it whether you see it or not. I love you guys.